Let's pray. I want to ask God to, to meet us in the word. And then we're going to move into communion and worship after the message. So Lord, we, we just want to open our hearts up to your word now. I need your help. Lord, give me, uh, give me a, f- a heart that's full of love for you and full of love for, for your people. And just don't want to forget about myself and just, Lord, this is, I want this to be for your glory and for the, the good of the saints here. Keep me in accord with your word, I pray. Give us open hearts. It's an amazing thing that James says in this passage, a truth that I need to grow in and that we all need to grow in. So help us, teach us, encourage us, build us up, strengthen us, I pray, as we open up your word now. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. When you read through the Gospels, and actually the whole New Testament, one thing that's really clear is that Jesus did not tell us that following him would mean that all your problems would stop. He didn't say that. Uh, Now, he did say that following him would mean unsurpassed joy and peace and the very love of God poured into your heart frequently, time and time again. So he promised amazing joy and heart satisfaction and fullness in knowing him, yes, but he also promised, actually, that following him would mean uh, trials, big trials, okay, difficult trials, serious trials. He, he promised that to us, and, and I'm sure that many of us, many of you are going through significant trials right now. I would guess some of you have had ongoing medical issues or maybe ongoing uh, pain problems, difficult trials. Others of you we know are, are involved in just ongoing unemployment, ongoing underemployment, with all the financial pressure that that means, with all the stress and strain that that entails. Um, Some of you may be involved in trials in terms of of a relationship that's very painful. Maybe maybe you're in a marriage, which is brittle, which is cold, which is distant, and there's not that warmth and that affection, that tenderness and that joy that maybe once was there, maybe never has been there, and it's just painful. Some of you, I would guess, um, are involved in fighting an area of temptation or sin, and you're resisting and you're fighting, but it's just, you're getting tired of fighting. You wish that there would just be like deliverance from this, and it's just, it's hard to keep fighting. And the list just goes on and on. So there's, there's lots of different trials, difficulties, struggles that, that we face as followers of Jesus, all right? So the question is, how are you responding to the trials that you're going through? What's the state of your heart as you're in the midst of them? And the reason I ask that is because in this passage we're looking at today, James talks to his readers about the state of their heart as they're going through an excruciating trial. So let's turn. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, if you don't have a Bible... We'd like you all to have a Bible so that you can open it up and study with us. The most important words you're going to hear this morning are the words in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So we want you all to have a Bible. Raise your hand. Don't be bashful. James 5 in the Bibles we're passing out is on page 1013. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at James 5, verses 1 through 11. Did you all get a Bible? Okay, we have enough. One more up here. Phil, thanks a lot. Anybody else? Last call. Okay, it's page 1013 in the Bibles we just passed out. 
James 5, 1 through 11. Let's start with the question, what situation were James readers facing? Look at verses 1 through 6. James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. This is a puzzling passage when you start to read it, okay? Because it sounds like, when you just read verses 1 through 6, it sounds like James is talking to his readers, which would mean that his readers are these rich people who are oppressing the poor. That's what it sounds like, right? I mean, you're reading this, it sounds like James is talking to his readers who must be the rich people who are living in luxury and self-indulgence and are oppressing the poor. But, when you read verse 7, you see that that's not what James is saying. So verses 1 through 6, he's just spoken a very powerful word of judgment against rich who are oppressing the poor. And then look at verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore... So therefore, because of this word of judgment I've just spoken to the rich, therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So the main point of verses 1 through 7 is not telling rich people to stop oppressing the poor. The main point is be patient, which means that James is talking most directly in this passage to his readers who are the poor being oppressed by the rich. Let me try to explain it like this. What James is doing in verses 1 through 6 is it's a rhetorical device. He's, he's speaking a very powerful word of judgment against rich people who are oppressing the poor, like an Old Testament prophet, just calling down God's judgment. Your riches are going to be rusty. Your, your judgment is coming against you. You've been oppressing the poor. You've been murdering the righteous man. Judgment is coming against you. The Lord of hosts has heard their cry. Judgment is coming. Therefore, brothers... Be patient. See how that works? So 1 through 6, a powerful indictment of the rich who are oppressing James readers, and he gives that indictment so that James readers will be encouraged to be patient in the meantime. Does that make sense? So don't get the impression that James readers are the rich who are oppressing the poor. James readers are the poor being oppressed by the rich. Verses 1 through 6, James wants them to feel the judgment that's coming to those rich who are oppressing them. Unless they repent. Unless the rich people repent. Does that make sense? Okay? We got to get this before we move on. So, any questions about it? You got it? All right, now. So let's just try to wrap our hearts around the situation that James readers are in. By the way, another reason that that's clear is when you read the rest of James, it's clear that the vast majority of his readers are like penniless, right? They have like maybe the clothes on their back. They are not the fat cats working the fields. All right? But just one other side comment. 
it was tempting to think about this passage and to say, you know, we need to talk about, even though we may not be oppressing the poor in these ways and holding back wages in these ways, are we in danger at all of living on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence? And I think the poorest of us here and all the rest of us are in danger of that possibility because we are more wealthy than the vast majority of the world. It's tempting to make that the whole point of this message, but I thought, you know, I'm not sure this passage, since this wasn't James' main point, I'm not sure we're going to do that, but we're going to take at least one Sunday this fall and talk about that. We need to talk about issues like world hunger, lack of water, okay, the racism, the poverty issues like that that we can be immune to. So we'll come back to that this fall. Fair warning. Okay? But for now, let's focus on what James is saying here to his readers. They are the poor being oppressed by the rich. So wrap your mind around what's going on. Remember, James' readers fled Jerusalem, went north around A.D. 42 to escape persecution. Many of them, probably most of them with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. Homeless refugees. And so here you are as a a dad, and your family is hungry. You have very little money, very little food. And this rich guy says, hey, I'll hire you to work my field. Come on, work my field. I'll pay you on Friday. So you start working, maybe maybe with with your family. Okay, we'll just eat a little bit today. Friday's coming. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so you're working like 6 a.m. to 8 o'clock Monday, working hard. It's okay. We'll just eat a little bit at 8.30, try to sleep, kids. I know we're all hungry. Friday's coming. I got a job. We, we got a job. Money's coming. Work all day Tuesday. Come on, keep working. Just a little bit of food. We can do it. Work all day Wednesday. Work all day Thursday. Work all day Friday. Okay, Friday. Okay, tonight. Feast. It's going to be awesome. We're going to go out, do something. 6, 6.30, 7, 7.30, owner drives up in his solid gold chariot, shouts out and says, didn't get a chance to go to the bank today. Hey, not to worry about it. I'll pay you next Friday. Drives off in a cloud of dust or whatever. And there you are. Kids start to weep. Wife looks at you. There you are. Okay, that's the situation that James readers are in. Okay, absolutely desperate situation. Okay, so what does James urge his readers to do? It's a very surprising word. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Patience means waiting peacefully. Waiting contentedly. So it means to be patient. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Okay, what's the coming of the Lord? It's the second coming of Christ. I mean, this phrase, the coming of the Lord, is used five, six, maybe seven times in the New Testament. Once it's used for the first coming of Christ in Second Peter. Every other time, including here, it's used for the second coming of Christ. Okay, Jesus' first coming, 2,000 years ago. He came hidden. He came lowly. He came suffering. Right? Second coming, totally different, not hidden, revealed. Everyone instantly, everyone on the earth and everyone in existence will immediately know Jesus is back, okay? It won't be hidden, it'll be revealed, won't be lowly, he will be exalted, king of kings, lord of lords, it'll be immediately apparent with your own eyes, whoa, the ruler of the universe is back. You'll see, you'll know, and he'll come back, not suffering, but 
conquering. It's the second coming. So James says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's one question that just stumped me here. Was, they're like in poverty. This guy's just ripped them off. Why would he say, be patient? Why not, like, move on? Right? Leave. Find another field, Okay. Arrested or have him be arrested, right? Why not, why not give some other counsel? And as I thought about that, none of those other things would be wrong. Okay? James, in other places, talks about asking God for wisdom, taking other steps. But I thought of two reasons why James doesn't do that. One is maybe they didn't have any other options. In this country, we've got options. There's millions of people around the world today who are so poor and so politically weak that they have no other options. Think about the Uyghurs in northwest China, for example. There's no other options. They can't go anywhere else. You've got to get government approval to go somewhere else. They can't go. So I think that's maybe one other option. So that's one reason. They have no other options. Another reason, even if they had other options isn't the most important step that we take when we're in the midst of a trial, isn't the most important step that we start with being patient before the Lord? Because you don't want to make decisions hastily or impatiently or it's going to be a knee-jerk reaction, right? So that's why I think even if there are other options that his readers would take, the most important thing that they should do is to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Okay, so this is what James would say to you. And to me, okay? You're involved in some kind of a maybe ongoing medical pain, chronic pain issue, and James would look at you with great love and he would say, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Or maybe you're in a marriage which is just heartbreaking. Or maybe you've got a boss who's just totally unfair. May not be the only thing James would say. God could transform your husband's heart. Other things could happen. But the first thing I think he would say is, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Or you're fighting some area of sin, you're, just, you're resisting, you're fighting, but it's just, it's just taking such labor and energy to fight this. James would say, be patient until the coming of the Lord. That's what he would say to us. Now, there's two implications I thought of by the fact that he urges his readers to be patient until the coming of the Lord. One is, I think that this means that we can expect trials until the Lord's return. Isn't that an implication here? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. When will trials be over? At the coming of the Lord. Okay, so, so that, that's one implication that, that James brings out here. Now, it's, it's all through the scripture that God can bring miraculous deliverances before his second coming, right? He does that. He can heal people supernaturally. He can intervene with job situations. He could transform your wife's heart. He can intervene, and he does often, but... Often in his love and his wisdom and his goodness, he chooses not to. So what James is doing here is he's focusing his readers and he wants to focus us on the the most sure thing. What is 100% certain is that Jesus Christ will come back. And at that point, every trial will end. We'll pray for your trial to end before then. Your home group will get together and fast and pray for your trial to end before then. We want your trial to end before then. But you don't put your hope in your trial ending before then. Your hope is in the second coming. 
when all the trials will be over. So that's one implication. Trials will continue until the coming of the Lord. And then the second implication is that the coming of the Lord makes all the trials worth it. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. What that means is that when the Lord comes, it's like, yes. See, we're, we're at war now. This is, this is wartime. We're not battling people. We're not battling other religions. We're not battling movements. We're battling supernatural powers that are holding people away from Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 12, right? That, that's our battle. And in battle, soldiers get wounded. In battles, soldiers suffer hardship. Okay, so we're in battle now. The battle will end at the second coming, but between now and the second coming, it's war. So we expect difficulties. We expect suffering. We expect hardship. Commander Jesus may have called you to display his glory through going through some serious medical issues. That may be your call as a soldier. Advance the gospel by by rejoicing in and displaying how Jesus is your treasure even as you go through medical problems. That's your assignment. Okay? That's the kind of thing he calls us to do. Some of you have been called into those ways. Others of you, you're called to, to endure a difficult work situation and show unconditional love and show mercy in the midst of that because when Jesus comes back and all the redeemed are gathered, men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and he's displayed as glorious, your part in displaying his glory will be there for all to see, for you to enjoy, for all to enjoy, and you'll say it's totally been worth it. Be Patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That's what James would say to us. Okay, now, that's not easy, though. I mean, look at how you've been responding to your trials. I mean, how many of you would say, well, patience is mostly what I do. Um, not, not me, and probably not most of us. And I was so encouraged in the rest of this passage, James gives us some help for how we can grow in this kind of patience. And there's five helps that that I've been helped by and I and I want you to be helped by here. So five helps that he gives his readers and that he'll give to us. The first is understand that there is precious fruit coming. That's the Lord's return. Look at what he says second half of verse seven, start at the very beginning. He says, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Okay, so picture a farmer. Farmer sows seed, and then and so there's bare dirt and his seeds under the dirt. Now, the farmer knows this isn't all that's going to happen. This is not the end result here. Okay, it's not like 10 years from now he's going to be sitting there, <laughs> bare dirt, you know, soaked seeds. No, he knows that this is just the beginning. What's going to happen is rich fruits, right? He knows there's going to be precious fruit that's coming forth. That's why when he plants the seed, he's not like grumbling, pacing back and forth. He knows this is not the end game. It won't be a bare field forever. And that's what James wants us to understand as well. The trial that you're going through now is not how it's going to be forever. It will not be this way, but Isn't the problem that when we're going through a trial, we tend to think this is just how it's going to be, right? That's why we get so impatient and frustrated because we think this is it. You wouldn't maybe say it quite that bluntly, but that's all we can see. I mean, my problem is when I'm going through trials, all I see is the trial. 
That's just it. That's my life now. And I don't see the precious fruit that's coming. So understand there's precious fruit coming. Try to take that trial and make it smaller in your heart and then try to dial up in your, in your mind's eye Jesus coming back. That's where this is all going. And that'll help you. Be patient. Second, help. Understand that God uses trials to increase our joy when the Lord comes. I see that in verse 7 also. Okay, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. The farmer knows that this time of waiting is part of what's going to bring the precious fruits. Okay, it's, it's part of what's going to bring that. And that's why we should be patient. Jot down 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 in your notes. This would be a great verse to memorize. 2 Corinthians 4, I think actually 16 through 18. Because what Paul says there is momentary light affliction is producing for us. Okay, did you get that? Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. The eternal weight of glory that you're going to experience is being produced by your momentary light afflictions. The time that the farmer's waiting is going to contribute to the growth of the, of the fruits. You're trusting Jesus, displaying his glory, honoring him, being patient in the midst of this trial is producing for you in some way, I don't understand it all, it's going to increase your joy. In Jesus coming forever, in some way, the, etern- the light momentary affliction produces for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So understand the trials you're going through now aren't going to take away from your ultimate fullness in Jesus. They're going to increase your ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Third, establish your heart with the certainty of the Lord's coming. Verse 8, you also, just like the farmer, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. When you're going through trials, our hearts can become weak. Our hearts can become wimpy. Our hearts can become tired. Our hearts can become discouraged. So James says, establish your heart. That is, there's steps you can take to make your heart strong. Strengthen your heart. Establish your heart. How? By understanding that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Which means that the coming of the Lord is near. That's what, what that phrase means, at hand. It's the same picture at the end of verse 9. The judge, that is Jesus, is standing at the door. So if you could picture, here's life here, and here's Jesus, and here's the door of the second coming. His hand is on the knob. Everything's been done. Okay, All it takes is for him to say, it's time. Open. He's back. Okay, so he's, it's not like he's miles away. He's got to go through all this stuff. He could come back at any time, which means it's absolutely certain. See, this is the one reality that we can just sink our security into and rest our hope in. It's that Jesus Christ will come back. Oh, if, if we could just get a, a more clear sense of this. You know, when you read the New Testament... Don't you see that the early church, they lived in the anticipation of the second coming. Don't you see that? They they lived for Jesus' return. And I just find that really hard to to, to keep pressing into that. But 
God will give us grace. We need to live more in the certainty of the Lord's coming, which means this trial will not go on forever. Jesus Christ will certainly come back. So establish your heart with that. Fourth, trust that at the second coming, Jesus will right every wrong. End of verse 9. We'll read all of verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is the judge. Part of what he does when he comes back is he's going to judge. Anybody who continues in grumbling without repentance shows that they never were saved. They'll be judged. But Jesus will come back as judge. And you can read about his judgment in verses 1 through 3. This is his judgment to the rich who have been unrepentant and didn't trust Jesus. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. That will happen. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. So, Judgment is coming. See, some, some of the trials you go through involve you being subject to great injustice. Okay? Great unfairness. Tragic wrongs committed against you. And your, your judicial sentiment just cries out, this isn't right. This isn't right. And you're right. It's not right. And every wrong will be righted. Do you understand that every sin ever committed will be justly and completely punished, either by Jesus' horrendous agony on the cross or by the person's horrendous agony in hell? It's one or the other, right? Every wrong will be righted. Are you trusting Jesus, which is how all of the punishment you deserve was punished upon him on the cross? That's key. But every wrong will be righted. Fifth, trust that at the second coming, we will receive great compassion and mercy. Verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord will be compassionate and merciful to you. The, the end statements of your existence will be, the Lord was compassionate and merciful. That's going to be the, the big print, okay? Remember the story of Job. Job suffered terribly. Remember? He lost all of his possessions. All of his children were killed. And he himself suffered a terrible physical malady, terrible ongoing chronic pain. And he was patient. Remember uh, Job one twenty one? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job was patient. And what, what was the outcome of the Lord's dealings with Job? All of his possessions were more than um, brought back. God gave him a whole new bunch of kids, and his health was completely restored. 
So, so the point is, God is gracious, compassionate, and merciful. So James wants you to understand, no matter what you're going through now, this is not the final statement. God is compassionate and merciful. And God might bring that compassion and mercy by delivering you before the second coming. And like I said, we're going to pray for that. That would be a wonderful thing. But even if he doesn't, when Jesus Christ comes back, the compassion and the mercy that you will be the receiver of will be so massive that it'll make everything else worth it. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right, so what does this mean for us? What's our takeaway from this? There's lots of ways we could go, but let me just have you focus on one. We need, I need, we all need to focus on the second coming more, I think. That's the key to patience in this passage. Do you see that? The key to patience is focusing on the second coming, hoping in the second coming. First Peter 1 First Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where your full hope is set, there. Is that where your hope is set? I need to get more of my hope set there, and we all do. So that's what I would encourage you to do. That's what James wants his readers to do, okay? His readers are terribly oppressed, very poor. Some of them have been arrested, condemned. Some of them have been murdered. They're powerless and they're poor. And what James would say to them is, be patient until the coming of the Lord. This may not be the only thing that he's going to call them to do, or that he would call them to do, but this is the most important thing that he would call them to do. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. It is absolutely certain. Your life will not always be like this. Every wrong will be righted. God will be compassionate and merciful. He will give you grace in the meantime, yes, but he's going to return. It'll be right. Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That's what he would tell them to do. And so this is what I would encourage you to do. Whatever the trial is you're, you're suffering now, focus in on the second coming. Focus in on Jesus' return. You've got medical pain issues. Jesus would encourage you, James would encourage you to realize this is not how it's always going to be. Jesus Christ is going to come back. The pain one day will be gone. Your brand new resurrection body will be received one day. And the suffering that you have gone through in this life medically with pain and your humble and imperfect but, but steady trust in Jesus Reliance on Jesus, display of Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure, that will so display Jesus' glory forever that you'll be swept up in that in a way that you'll say it was all worth it. I would do it a hundred times again for sure. Not a question. So focus on the second coming. Difficult marriage, tough relationships, problem with somebody at work. Jesus is coming back. This isn't the only thing you focus on, but this is the most important thing. He will right every wrong. Let the certainty of his return give you such peace now that you can love unconditionally, that you can forgive. Justice isn't your agenda. God takes care of the justice. Your call is to love. Let the second coming strengthen you, encourage you, build you, satisfy you, feed you, live for it. This is not how it's always going to be. The end is coming. Jesus will come back. Focus on that. So for whatever trial you're experiencing, this is the most important step you can take. This is it. Now, I want us to move into communion. 
because your heart right now might be feeling, I don't feel this right now. I'm not sensing this right now. I'm still feeling much more of the anger about my trial or the hopelessness of my trial or the discouragement of my trial, maybe. But see, here's, here's the wonder of the cross. Here's the wonder of, of how to follow Jesus. Following Jesus does not mean that you need to get your heart completely in sync with everything Jesus calls you to do first so that you then can come to him. Don't change your heart first so you can come to him. Following Jesus means you come to him first as you are and he will change your heart. This is the beauty of following Jesus. He says, come. Yes, exactly as you are. Come, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling discouraged, you're a little bothered at God for having this trial go on so long, because this is what's really in your heart. And Jesus says, I know, I know, I know. Come. Because as we come to the cross, and as we confess, forgive me, this is what I'm feeling right now. Forgive me, help me, change me. Jesus' power goes to work to forgive and help and change. He not only forgives us all of our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you come as you are with your impatient heart, discouraged heart, hopeless heart, angry heart, frustrated heart, bothered heart, bugged heart, whatever your heart might be, but you come as you are to the cross and say, Jesus, here's the word. Here's my heart. Forgive me. Help me. Change me. And as you do that and ask Jesus to meet you, he will this morning change your heart. And you will start to see his return, the second coming, more vividly and start to feel joy in his return more deeply and be strengthened by the certainty of his return more powerfully And his return will become larger in your heart and the trial will become smaller in your heart and patience will result. Okay? So now, if you're feeling discouraged and like not very patient, does that mean you need to go start, you know, work on your heart, get patient first, overcome your discouragement first before you can come to Jesus? No. It means you come to Jesus and you say, forgive me, here I am, change me. And he will. So let's have the band come on up and uh, let's pray as we move into communion. Lord, I ask that you'd work in each of our hearts right now. Bring your power upon us. Lord, I'm not feeling hope in the second coming the way you'd want me to and none of us are. We all need to grow in this. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing that comes. And I pray that that right now you would do something so special in each of our hearts that there would be genuine confession, genuine repentance, that there would be genuine forgiveness imparted and forgiveness felt as you pour your Holy Spirit into our hearts afresh and that cleansing would come. That you would cleanse us from impatience. You'd cleanse us from grumbling. You'd cleanse us from complaining and whining. 
You've cleansed us from discouragement or anger or bitterness or hopelessness or despair. Jesus, come, cleanse us as we set our hearts upon you. Come and do that, Lord.